0: Good afternoon and welcome to the Double or Nothing podcast hosted by myself, Clark Cummings, alongside my partner, Alex Russian, in collaboration with DraftKings, the best place to play daily fantasy sports for cash prizes. And we are looking forward to talking about the hottest topics in betting and in tennis. I'm coming to you from Southampton, New York, and Alex is coming to you from San Diego. Hey, Alex, how are we doing in San Diego?
1: We're doing good. We're doing good. Excited to be doing this with you. It's been a uh, long time in the making, especially last Monday. Well, you know, we like to be authentic with the viewers. That's my thing, transparency. And uh, this is actually the second version of uh, episode one. My, uh, my co-host over there in Southampton had a little uh, couple technical difficulties, but uh, we're back and uh, we're ready to go. So stoked to be doing this with you. How, uh, how are you doing?
0: I'm doing well, staying busy here in Southampton, teaching a lot of lessons on court, a lot, and uh, just staying busy. Not getting much rain here with the hurricane, so uh, really every day is a grind, and every day will be a grind till October. But what's your what's your summer been up to? And uh, how tell the listeners how you kind of started following Crack rackets.
1: Yeah, well, summer's been good. I think uh same as everybody, a little bit more uh boring this year because of COVID, which sucks, but you know, we just got to make the best of the situations we're uh we're in, been practicing and getting ready for uh hopefully this fall season, but um crack rackets for me was actually introduced to me while I was still at Auburn during my first year at college uh I uh, I was pretty close with uh, one of my good friends, uh, Ali Zay, who she was on the women's team and she showed me the Instagram account. And this was back when it was sort of more of a, uh, more of like a meme page, honestly. It was very, very raw and it was super funny and it was super centered around uh, college tennis. But I thought it was, I thought it was funny and though, know? so i followed them since then and then to see them grow over the years has been very cool and like become uh, what they're starting to turn into, which I think is like the barstool of tennis, uh, which is exactly what we need right now. But from there this summer, um, I had an internship that unfortunately fell through because I didn't want to uh, be an insurance broker. Didn't wasn't really my style. And uh, so they DM me some stuff and I just honestly, I DM them back and I said, hey, listen, I think you guys are doing really good, but there's a lot that uh, I believe that I could help you out with. And then uh, Dalton reached out. We uh, we talked a couple times on the phone, and uh, a few days later, I was part of the team, just like you. Um, how was it for you, and how did you get started with uh, with Cracked?
0: Yeah, I actually was following the Instagram page for a few weeks, and I think on that day, March 12th or March 13th, everything in the world kind of shut down. I was in Orlando, Florida, and I was like, man, what am I going to do now? My summer's probably you know screwed and stuff like that, and so... I just started reaching out to a bunch of people calling coaches um, and then calling, you know, some tennis media company, companies that I knew of, but uh, I immediately DM'd Cracked Rackets and within four hours I got a text. So it just showed how proactive Dalton and Cracked Rackets are, especially with the world kind of when the world was shutting down basically and live sports were coming to a halt. So uh, I think, you know, they've given us they've given us a, a fair shot and given us an opportunity that we can we can run with and if we make it happen uh, who knows what happened who knows what's going to happen so uh, I think you know we you and I hit it off from the first day we got announced of brand ambassador partners and I think you and I uh, really came up with this idea of starting a podcast and we both love tennis and, and gambling is a strong passion of both of ours
1: Yeah, you know, I I actually remember how it started. It's a pretty funny story. Um, I'm not a big TikTok guy. I think, honestly, TikTok boyfriends, guys that dance with their girls on TikToks are kind of the biggest, like, simps out there. So (laughs) I kind of stayed away from it, you know? I'll fucking, I'll view a couple things my boys sent me and stuff. There's some funny shit on there, but for the most part, I stayed away from it. But in this case, once I kind of took that role as ambassador, just like you did, we had to do that fucking TikTok, and I was like, oh my God. But, uh did a bunch of takes and, uh, you know, that's how we started texting back and forth about what we were going to do in that TikTok, And from there it kind of just blossomed where, uh, we saw, we really saw things eye to eye and we're on the same page. And, you know, since then uh, we had that idea and I'm glad we've been able to make it happen.
0: Man, that TikTok was, was pretty damn good, but we didn't get enough, uh, people involved, but I mean, to, uh, to do the TikTok in the rain in California, you were just—you got to give some. No one's giving you props for uh, for not seeing that TikTok,
1: dude. I was I was grinding, but for now I'm gonna remain an underground TikTok star. Maybe uh, you know we'll see if we get a bunch of subscribers here, like a hundred thousand or something like that. Maybe I'll release a video as a uh, as a thank you, but That's- we'll see
0: so let's let's talk a little bit about how and why we came up with this idea of starting a podcast uh, double or nothing I think uh, the name came after the idea came first but uh, what how do you think we came up with this idea and then i'll I'll offer my feedback after after you say some stuff
1: yeah I would I would say the same thing. I think there's just so much uncharted territory in tennis, especially the way it's being covered just like you mentioned it's kind of honestly it's a little bit lame we don't really have that much stuff i felt like um and not to really call out anybody but like even tennis channel back in the day they were much edgier when we had shows like no strings attached and stuff like that And now what i feel like it's it's very it's very i don't know just kind of country cluby. you either have your you got your commentators and it's the same ones every time but what's lacking is that it's that personal connection and that inside access that we want and we want to know what's in Rafael Nadal's fridge. We want a mainstream audience to be into tennis. And the way, a big way to get people involved in sports that they don't necessarily watch, of course, is betting on it, gambling. I mean, I could literally watch girls under 12 lacrosse in Pakistan, and if I had money on it, that game would be very, very interesting to me. And that's the same thing with tennis. Like, one of the goals that I want to do is I want the mainstream tennis audience to enjoy what we're doing, but I just want regular people to be able to get into tennis and grow the sport and, uh, you know, be involved in it. And I think gambling is definitely a great way for people to do that as we move forward here. Um, and it's just going to be a good segue for both tennis players and non-tennis players to kind of just get into it. Because, I mean, what makes more, something more interesting than when the stakes are raised? And when we have high stakes and we have money on the line, that's when that happens.
0: Yeah, I agree with what you're saying. Uh, I'm going to separate it, I mean, look at the betting side and tennis side I mean, as the podcast uh, progresses. But right now, when you look at tennis and when you look at, say, ESPN and stuff like that, I think the goal of Cracked Rackets is to become like a Barstool esque company, you know? Really? And, and um, tennis right now and, and sports in general. Are in this box, you know. It's a, a cookie cutter box, and it's hard to go outside that box. And the one reason why cracked rackets appealed to me so much was seeing that they're trying to make people laugh. They're trying to provide funny content, random shit. You know, hey, like you said, we want to know what happened with Kyros after he beat Nadal at Wimbledon. What did he do? Did he go out and get drunk? You know, that's what people our age want to know. We want to know the behind the scenes action and like if you look at – I think Kobe Bryant had this behind-the-scenes movie five years ago that came out. He just talked about the whole game and stuff like when he played the Spurs. So everyone's interested in the, the behind-the-scenes shit, like The Last Dance. How many people were glued to the TV with The Last Dance from Sunday night from 9 to 11? A lot of people were because it was behind-the-scenes shit. You're getting interviews from players. You're never before seen it seen footage. So if we can – Go outside that box and appeal to gamblers, to tennis fans, but even find people that are just interested in laughing and sports content. I think that's our goal at the end of the day is is to bring more people into tennis and uh, really love the game of tennis and be addicted to it almost
1: yeah I agree with you I think tennis has kind of gone a little stale right now tennis is not cool you know I mean you got to be good at it and then it could be cool but for for example you know if you're a tennis player and you're on you know your high school tennis team you're not getting more chicks than the quarterback that's just kind of facts right now and uh it didn't used to be that way. Back in the day, we had some amazing personalities, some amazing American personalities. We had Vita Scarlettis, we had Andre Agassi, we had John McEnroe, we had Jimmy Connors. We had people that made the game cool from an international perspective. You got guys like Murat Safin that are going out until like six in the morning in Miami before they play, you know, matches of Master Series. And like that's just like not there anymore. And, uh, you know, we talk about not wanting to be compared with golf as tennis players. But to be honest, that's like a misrepresentation because golfers at this point in my experience are a bunch of, I mean, they're a bunch of degenerates. They get after it. They fucking go crazy. There's a huge gambling culture. And I think that's a big thing to, uh, to get people interested, going back to uh, how it's not as cool anymore. Back in the day, when we had these personalities, it was f-ing dope to be a tennis player. You had people packing the stadiums and watching on TV, whether they played tennis or not, because John McEnroe was playing. That personality is going to bring that fun to the game, and I think betting would also accompany that well and do that same thing.
0: Yeah, when you look at um, obviously betting, it's you, you know if you're if it's your favorite team, obviously it's kind of the same, but Betting on a random person and random shit in Pakistan, you feel like that's your favorite team. You know that's what kind of gambling is and the sweat and all that. But when you look at like Kyros, uh, I think his personality for tennis has been amazing because there's so many Europeans that are attracted to his personality, and there's even Americans. You know, what if Nick Kyrios was American? How how much? He'd be a would star. he appeal to the he would be a huge star I feel like so I think we're lacking in the personality side and American tennis hasn't done sh- in on the male side in what 15 years I guess with I mean the last time we won a grand slam was at the US Open with Roddick in 03 so American tennis needs to kind of step up and, and win some big matches and make some deep runs in the in the US Open especially in the next 3 weeks I mean and well, when, when the US Open happens I guess that's 3 4 weeks away so I think uh I, I think we really need to the first step is for Americans to step up, win more matches, have a personality, share the behind the scenes footage, and then hopefully people become attracted to that and then you know the gambling kinda comes secondary to that too.
1: You know, I I agree with what you say, but I also disagree with what you say because honestly, like I'm all for these American guys, you know, stepping up and doing good. Um, You know, one of the big up-and-coming ones, Taylor Fritz. I mean, Taylor's one of my best friends since we were kids. But when it comes to gambling, that world is a little more cutthroat. And I don't care if you're from whatever fucking country. If you're making me money, you're making me money. And if I got my money on you, I'm rooting for you to win, regardless of if you're playing Andy Roddick's, like, firstborn son. But – really quick I want to see what you uh um, you know we were talking about this pre-show about the uh Opelka quote and I want to see what you think about it if you want to uh, share it and uh talk about it a little bit
0: yeah so well, I think you and I have some mixed opinions on his quotation but he got interviewed a little bit I think about a, two months ago and he just shared everything about the minor leagues of tennis and about gambling and how the sport of tennis has evolved good or bad but he goes uh this is a quotation from from his interview about two months ago. Look at the gambling in golf. It's going to happen anyway in tennis. If you sign a TV rights deal, some of these gambling firms that make so much money off of tennis want to sponsor tournaments, and they want to have events. The gambling is going to happen regardless, and the only difference will be for players to benefit from it. Have more tournaments, have more prize money, and earn from it. I'm sure after this crisis, it's going to be even tougher to have those small 250 events. And it's just these little things that can make a difference. So my first reaction is, hey, if I put $100 on Opelka and he wins the U.S. Open at 101 odds, I don't think Riley Opelka should get any share of those odds. You know, I mean, that, that should just – that should be ruled out right away. Uh, and then my second thought is, hey, this, this is a top 50 tennis player talking about gambling. This is attractive, you know, when when our, our players are talking about kind of the stuff that doesn't – isn't outspoken enough, you know. So uh, I think I agree and disagree with with his statement. But in the end, I don't think Opelka or Federer any of these guys should get a cut off of what I'm – what my wager is if, if they happen to, you know, come home with some big money.
1: I mean, so this is what I understand that Riley's saying, and this is what I think he's trying to do. First of all, the U, I mean, the ATP kind of has, like, very, very, sh- like, leadership to begin with. It's not very good. It could do a lot better. We could do it in a much better way. I mean, imagine if we had a commissioner and things like that, sort of like some of the other sports, or even did that possible merger that people are talking about, like, with the WTA. But what he's saying is, and this is, like, the misconception, is, like, when he says if people are gambling, we should get a cut of it, I, I don't agree with that, but that's not exactly what he's saying. It's not taxes. It's not like I put 100 bucks on Riley to win and win 200 and that 200 that I win, like $2 if it goes to Riley. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is these partnerships that um, the ATP might have uh, with certain gambling companies because there's many in Europe, there's a few in the US, stuff like that has to be in the collective bargaining agreement. So if the U or the ATP is getting sponsored by a gambling site, they're obviously getting paid money. Um, and that money should be shared through a collective bargaining agreement with the players. And that's kind of what I think the gist of the message is because it's not, it's not like taxes, but you want a little piece of the pie. You want a piece of the ticket sales, you want a piece of that, and something like a sponsor um, from a gambling company goes into that like umbrella of that category.
0: No, and obviously, we've had some issues with the ATP Council, and there's been some backlash, uh, you know, ATP and WTA need to conjoin, stuff like that, so there's been so many different debates, and just so much shit going on with the ATP, obviously, in this tough time with COVID, but... I think uh, Opelka is – he's getting us a good start. He's going in the right direction, I think. Uh, His comments are kind of helping the ATP go, oh, we got to listen to the players more. Hopefully that's what the ATP council is kind of leaning towards. But I think when you look at football and you look at some of these stadiums, these new stadiums that are being built, Las Vegas, they just put a sports book in their stadium. So they're promoting it. They're kind of embracing it, you know. And I think tennis hasn't embraced gambling yet, and that's why you and I are talking today. We want to kickstart the conversation. We want people to, you know, we want to talk about it. We don't want to hide it. So I think that's why you and I really uh, got inspired to start this conversation.
1: One thing I want to talk about is I want to talk about the history of gambling in tennis and the stigma of it. You know, gambling gambling is going to be there and it's it's here and it's here to stay. But gambling in tennis is taboo and that's the truth and we got to first, you know, to change our ways we got to accept the truth first, you know, and come clean. Gambling is very taboo in tennis and that is because in these lower level tournaments because of this huge wage gap There's so much shady stuff going on where players are betting on themselves. They're betting on themselves to win, and even worse, they're betting on themselves to lose. But it's a sad—it's just like a testament to the broken system because I can go to a future in wherever. It could be Turkey. It could be one of these places like Antalya, and I could bet on myself and to lose first round, and I could make more money losing and betting on myself to lose than I could by winning that whole tournament. For a tennis player that doesn't have that much money to travel, you know, that— enables me to extend my career and play four more tournaments and now I can keep it going. So a lot of people do these acts out of desperation. That's why if other people were gambling and they were getting a percentage of that, or if gambling sponsors were, uh, you know, were going corporate and they're doing something with the ATP, then maybe they get their share of that outside. But that's the biggest thing is we've had problems with the integrity of the game and nobody wants to see tanking. However, because there's, that, that should not erase the fact that uh, the general public should be allowed to gamble. You know, it's, it's insane because in every other sport, it's just part of it. It's part of the culture and it's part of what makes sports so fun and appealing to all of us, especially, uh, you know, the common fan that wants it not only because of the love of the sport, but because of the entertainment factor.
0: Yeah, and I mean, you look at the revenue of how much gambling has produced in certain states. It's insane. You know, and uh, I think, hey, maybe gambling does produce some revenue for the ATP and stuff like that, and they can hold more 250s and uh, smaller tournaments. And honestly, we need to improve the lives of the guys in the 400s. You know, these guys are making—they're cutting even if that. They're you not. Know? They're not cutting even. They're—they're uh, they're struggling. A dude that's 500
1: is—is is busting his to make ends meet. Um and yeah, it's just it's just kind of it's just kind of messed up and it's wrong. But we gotta we gotta definitely uh you know
0: make the shift. Yeah, and uh, I mean if we can have more gambling partners like DraftKings, DraftKings has been awesome with this podcast and with Cracked Rackets. But if we can advertise and use DraftKings more and they get revenue and stuff like that, I think it I see it taking off and. We also you and uh, you and I have talked about it. We need to get a cracked racket book off off and get ready to uh, gamble on college tennis. I think we can. We, everyone can gamble on college football and college basketball. Need to get a sports book that has college tennis. And you know, I'm gonna make some big money this year if we have a cracked racket sport sportsbook betting on you because uh, you know I think coming off injury, your expectations aren't aren't too high. So. Uh, I know you're putting in the work and I'm ready to make some money off of you buddy.
1: Well, I appreciate that. And I hope we live in a world uh, where you can picking back off huh. of that. I do agree. We f- we need that. We need that sport book bad, whether we do it as crack rackets ourselves or DraftKings does something, but we need it bad because really quick. I want to talk about just like that uncharted territory. And one of those things is included in college sports. Like, uh, for instance, I'll tell you the reason. Right now, the rule is that under the NCAA rules, if there is a sport that is an NCAA sport, I can't bet on it if I'm an athlete. So that means because there's college football, that means I can't bet on the NFL. Now, there's a very, very strict policy. I've been to two schools. I, you know, both Division One schools. The big one, big program, Auburn. Um, you know, where things are very strict. But also at LMU, which is you know slightly smaller school, but. You know, these rules are really just, I mean, they're shoved down our throat that you cannot bet. It's a big no no. And I think that's, you know, it's disgraceful that the NCAA would uh, prevent me from doing something like that. I totally understand um, how it would be for betting on NCAA sports because, I mean, you know, we could have inside information at Auburn. I was really good friends with a lot of the guys on the football team and stuff like that. Okay, I get it. You know, I might know something that another person does. Uh, doesn't know and uh, have you know an advantage over that person so it's fine take away my NCAA betting I'm not complaining about that but the fact that I can't bet on you know regular sports outside of that is just bullshit like it's kind of it's crazy to me and uh, it's one of those things that has to change in college sports you mentioned to me earlier um, in previous talks you can literally bet on volleyball if you can bet on bet on volleyball there's no reason you can't bet on tennis and literally every single sport you can bet on, you can bet on basketball, you can bet on football, you can bet on baseball, and you can bet on f- volleyball just like you said. That's a sport just like tennis that I'm sorry to say doesn't bring in many fans anyway. So, you know, who cares? And you can do something so cool. It's about taking these models of these other things and seeing what's successful in other places. What's f-ing so cool about tennis that we have that basketball has? We have a f-ing tournament at the end of the year you can literally have March Madness, but for, but for tennis, you know, think about the brackets that could be, uh, that could be done. That's betting in a whole different, other way, not just on, on games, but how well you pick your bracket, your matchups, all of that. It's a just, it's an amazing game. And, uh, you know, it's unfortunate that this doesn't yet exist, but we're on our way to it. I hope Clark.
0: And, uh, I mean, speaking about college, sometimes you think about the 2017 NCAA tournament, I was lucky to, uh, to go and see, UVA win and and have a really it was a great tournament in Georgia with a bunch of young guys kind of swept through the tournament so you know how cool would it be to have those Georgia fans put some money down on their players and you know at the end of the day we want to make tennis better we want to have more people that play college tennis and you know you and I've had some pretty cool experiences in college tennis already so If gambling can somehow help with revenue in college tennis, I think that would be pretty special. But also the amount, the abundance of how much you can gamble on a college tennis match. Hey, there's six singles, there's there's three doubles, and there's a one-team point. There's so much you can gamble on. and Like you're talking about, dude. Like it's fucking
1: – it is that. It really is that. But there's there's bigger problems that exist with tennis. And college, tennis is honestly the way to fixing those problems. Like aside from weird whatever connotations or stigmas about betting, tennis players themselves are just weirdos. Like they really, really are. They're lonely. They keep to themselves. They don't have that uh, – Unintended uh, curriculum, which is a sociological term, which basically means all that shit that you learn in school. That's not school. And uh, in every other sport, the way uh, the way to become a professional, really, in these major sports in our country is going to college and playing college sports tennis. You don't have to do that, but you gain so much experience from being in college. You grow so much as a person and you mature. If you're good enough to be a professional at 18, you're good enough to be a professional at 22. You're going to make it. And uh, so that, that path is uh, is going, and we're getting better. The level of college tennis is very, very high now, and it's only getting better. But if we make it more official and we make it bigger and we involve betting and stuff like that, we're going to get even more people to watch college tennis. And it could be framed as like you know watching a Duke game where you're watching uh, – whatever team, and you can see that guy who, you know, next year or two years from now, you're going to also be able to watch him in the U.S. Open. And I think that's, uh, I think that's something that's very cool and something that uh, will happen from, from boosting college in general. And this is a good, a good little
0: push. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I mean, that, that, what you just said was awesome. I think the goal at the end of the day for you and I is to jumpstart the conversation, helping promote the game of tennis, but also helping change the stigma. Really focusing on the stigma and you know and, and kind of just improving tennis because we need we need help. Yeah, I mean, if we normalize
1: to make it more normal, like I said, going down that college path where you know we're taking out people that are also going to be more normal. They're going to be better with interviews, more marketable. It's almost like an investment in the future of our sport because if there's guys that people like their personality, then they're also going to be able to get you know, media attention and gather people to watch the sport. But gambling, gambling isn't only a part of sports. It's a part of our culture. It's a part of American culture. It's a part of British culture. It's a part of Australia. It's part of culture all over the world, no matter where you go. And so to make tennis normal or, you know, cool, you know, we start with making gambling more normal and more cool. And that's a, that's a good way to do it. I want to really quick, I want you to tell me a few of the ways that you think, you know, what's missing from the availability of what you can gamble on right now in the first place. Aside from not being able to gamble, um, we're not just focusing on college here. We're focusing on tennis as a whole. So what do you think is missing from gambling options in
0: general? I in think with gambling, humor is also a big thing. So, hey, what if we can bet on how many faults Serena Williams is going to have in the U.S. Open final, you know, over, over, under... Zero point five. The odds are probably me. Uh, the favorites probably mean no. Obviously, but
1: yeah. For for the sake of line judges, I hope we're not f- getting too many foot faults for Serena. it Kind of gets her a little testy. And then
0: breaking rackets. Uh, I mean, umpire fights. You can do defaults, point penalties. You know, more the merrier. Honestly, it appeals more and gives more attention to the gambler when there is more action to be played with and and money possibly to earn. And even if this you know the odds are higher of Serena getting a f-ing game penalty in the U.S. Open final—I don't know what that those odds were—but you know, people people are attracted to those high of you know seen odds. So I think humorous that can be in gambling, and it's also serious because you're putting money down, is really attractive for the for the common fan, and even for the non-common tennis fan. And that's how maybe these wagers we can we can pull them in.
1: Yeah, I definitely I definitely see what you're saying and I and I, I agree with you. I really, really agree with you. I really quick story. One of the most the funnest times I've had was I remember I was going to watch Indian Wells pre and we went to watch Stevie. This is right when he was out of college, you know, we went to watch one of his matches and it was great. But the next day we stuck around and we watched some girls and I mean I feel bad for these poor girls because the wind was literally blowing at 90 miles an hour. Like I wouldn't have been able to make a ball on the court and, you know, honestly, neither could they that day. But me and my friends, you know, we were sitting in the audience, we were watching and we were making stupid little bets. Like is how many double faults are going to happen in this game? How many balls are going to go out of the stadium? Just that. And um, while that was a fun, fun little side bet thing to do, it gets me thinking about what is lacking. And, you know, what's attractive to us is options. That's what's attractive and that's what we like. And in football, you can literally bet on everything from the coin toss to a half to the spread to the score, anything. And so, like, in tennis, there's so much stuff like that. Like, literally, why can't we bet on the coin toss? Why can't we bet on who, you know, what is uh, Nadal going to decide to do from the coin toss? Is he going to, you know, decide to return? Is he going to decide to defer? Is he going to? Is he going to serve first? That's another thing that you can bet on. Um, I mean, it's ridiculous. You should be able to bet on individual sets. You should be able to bet on a tie break. You should be able to bet on the distance of match because we all know um, tennis is so unique in the sense that we are the only sport that doesn't have a clock. This should go five hours. I mean, imagine betting on Isner Mahut and saying, hey, this match is going to go over seven hours. Someone will think you'd be crazy, but the odds for that would be f- amazing, you know, and it's something that could happen. So it's just all, all that stuff. And I, uh, you know, going from that, I also want us to, uh, you know, cause we're going to be on here giving advice too. I want, I want to go in a little bit and ask you first, what are these, you know, the benefits
0: of betting on tennis too? Yeah. I mean, I can only imagine, uh, you know, sitting there with your watch and, go, and starting the match and, uh, you know, Pressing start right when Isner clocks his first serve, and you're like, okay, I'm gonna sweat it out. Hopefully, this match goes over four and a half hours at plus uh, 500 odds or something sh- like that. But I think the benefits of you know gambling in tennis is obviously the revenue it can produce, but the revenue it might be able to produce for the individual. Um, you know, I just think there's so much. Uh, Positives that can arise from this. Obviously, you know, you and I haven't. We've looked at it as a as a fan. We haven't looked at it from the ATP side. We haven't looked at it from you know different perspectives. From but from our perspective, we think it's a win-win situation, and that's why the conversation started in the first place. Because uh, in the end, you and I want the game of tennis to get better, and we want it to go outside that you know, the box that the mainstream media is in. And, you know, that's, you know, why Barstool Sports has been so attractive to so many people and why they have millions of people on their podcasts, their social media, and following them on their website. It's just that, you know, they go outside the box. And that's what I think, uh, I mean, gambling is starting to become inside the box, honestly.
1: I'm a man of the people obviously i mean the atp sucks they could be doing so much better there's millions of ways they could you know use this to help their sport but again as i said i'm the man of the people so i want to talk about the benefits that it would bring to the people and go into what makes tennis unique the first thing is let's take a look at the month of february for instance we have tournaments going on in central no we have tournaments going on in south america we have tournaments going on in the United States and we have tournaments going on in Europe all at the same time. You could have three tournaments going on on different continents all in the same week. There's so much action there. The NFL, you can only bet you can only bet on Sundays because that's the only days that games are being played. Same with college football. In, uh, in soccer, you have that ability to where there's different leagues going on, so you have that, but there's still a season. In tennis, we really, the season is all year round. It's literally January to November, there's no breaks. And uh, so aside from just the amount of f-ing tennis that is being played, which is the amount of tennis available to be bet on, you also have to look at our sport, which is so dope about it, at both a men and a male and a female level, It is at the highest uh at the highest level. You know what I mean? There's not like, you know, men's volleyball isn't what women's volleyball is. But men's tennis and uh women's tennis are fairly equal. So you not only have that opportunity to uh you know get after it with so many, so many events on uh on the men's side, you also have that on the women's side. So it just I mean it's really amazing. And on top of it, uh a lot of people might not know this, but Clark, your dad. Um, He invented UTR. UTR is a pretty incredible rating system that we have in here in tennis. And that algorithm that UTR has is a very good tool for us to be able to gauge how good a a tennis player is, how informed he is, all that stuff. So you have great indicators. I mean, in football, you know, you might get your opinions from stats or you might get your opinions from whatever your favorite analyst says, whatever Skip Bayless says about Des Bryant that day. And you might be like, oh, let me have them on my fantasy team. But that's just someone's opinion. UTR is something that's like a robot. It's unbiased here. So it's really a good tool and a huge benefit to people to be able to make almost like safe decisions when gambling. You're rolling the dice, but you're almost playing, you know, you're playing big, but to high percentages. So I think it's uh, its really nice. You know, I remember
0: a project I did uh, in my stats class my senior year of high school. And I actually went back and looked at, I think it was the round of 32 on, and I went through every individual match in singles, and, I mean, I, I don't remember how many matches there were, but I think there was two upsets uh, bigger than 0.5 in the, UTR, in the UTR rating system. So, obviously, you know, the viewers that understand UTR will, will understand what we're saying, but I think uh, Universal Tennis Rating System and how popular it has become with uh, people using it with, I mean, honestly, tennis channel using it on a minute by minute basis and displaying the numbers. It, it, you know, it kind of draws in your last 30 matches. And I mean, if you're a 16.35 and a 16.12, that's kind of a, if a 16.35 is playing a 16.12 and the 16.12 wins, that's kind of a, a decent upset nowadays. Uh, so, UTR is is very accurate, and I think if we could help promote UTR, and UTR has done such great things with tennis, and kind of uh, helped people get away from USDA and more into level-based tennis, where there's more competition and competitiveness, uh, that that could be attractive to gamblers, to you know, to tennis players trying to get better in tennis, or even um, you know the the addicts that are trying to win money. So it's just it's a good good tool that's not used in any or really. There's no other sport that has anything like this. So I guess maybe not even golf. You know, golf has handicap system and so is sporadic. So I think UTR is a, a great system to enhance gambling and, and to win more money.
1: UTR is honestly. It's great. I'm not an analytical guy. I'm not like Daryl Morey. I'm on the player side, but I have to say it is one of the best, uh, the best things out there for sure. And a huge benefit to gamblers. If they use it correctly, I want to change the subject a little bit really quick and dive into golf. And because I think golf is a great model for us. I know I talked about earlier a little bit, telling you about how they're degenerates and stuff like that, but I want to just more so focus on why. And the why to that is that in that sport gambling is something that is normal it's part of it's part of the culture and in tennis uh, as we've talked about the revenue and uh, you know if you're 400 in the world you're struggling there's only one there's only two ways to make money in tennis either you're a successful tennis player or you're a tennis coach and those are the only two ways in golf through gambling and through betting much like poker we have a lot of different advantages and uh, so what that what that means is for instance golf there's side bets on every single hole between players. There's bets between the fans and players. There's, there's everything. You know what I'm saying? I live, uh, you know, my mom's renting right now. She lives in Delmar Country Club, a place where actually I see people all the time. I see Drew Brees here, Reggie Bush, even, uh, you know, a, ten, a friend from the tennis family. We got James Blake playing here all the time. And uh, it's, it's just crazy. On Friday, they have this thing. They call it the, the Wolfpack game. I was playing behind the wolves one day, and I literally was like found six hundred dollars on the ground. I mean, cash. That was a nice day. Obviously, I caught up to them and uh, gave them their money back. That's Not bullshit. true. I definitely fucking kept that money and put that in my pocket. No chance. I was doing that. I started playing slow afterwards. But you see, you can make you can make money. And here, as I get to my point, you can make money in those uh, big money games. You can go and you can play in the in the long distance driving competition stuff like that in tennis you know you don't see your typical businessman going and putting a thousand dollars a set just for fun in poker you it's the same thing you don't need to be on the poker tour which is on espn to be making money you can be like a dude like dan blazerian go and make money and play these private games with your wealthy friends and make bank and steal their money that like that you can also go to the casino any casino you want and hit a lick on that and up these like whatever rookie dealers or people you're playing with you can still make an income without having to be a pro and it's all through gambling and that's that being such a core foundation of the culture, where it's normal at the lowest level and the highest level, is to how we, uh, you know, kind of got to take cues and be humble enough to sit back and be like, hey, we gotta, we gotta change our ways.
0: You know, uh, I think we gotta imitate a little bit more off of other sports. Uh, I mean, golf has obviously we done do. a good job. So if we can use some imitation and turn that into some inspiration, hey, maybe that helps. Um, and I think you and I have. Kind of tried to kickstart the conversation and uh, using the Cracked Rackets platform and hopefully enhancing that, uh, we can we can do some good things and help attract more people to tennis because uh, the sport of tennis unfortunately needs it right now with um, you know cutting programs in Division One and just the really not a good look right now with how players are doing uh, 250 to, to 500 making money wise.
1: Yeah. I mean, honestly, like my goal is to make, my goal is to really make tennis cool. I want to be able to say tennis and have that be as dope as me being like the quarterback at school. You know, I want it to be like that. And to do that, we got to change the, uh, the culture and the image, but most importantly, we got to get not people who don't play tennis into tennis. That's, that's the biggest goal, you know, because how many of us are playing football? Like we're, you know, unless we're playing like in high school or something like that, nobody's playing football if they're not a professional. It's just too rough a game. But we all f-ing watch football every single Saturday, every single Monday, every single Thursday, and every single Sunday. And uh, betting as you know, maybe we're getting repetitive, but in my opinion, that's just the best way to do it because if I have money on something, I'm going to watch it. And especially if I have a platform like this, just an absolute resource to teet our own horns where I can come to a place like this for knowledge and be able to capitalize off it and really make money, then I'm going to shift my focus to that. And uh, it's it's just really the way, I think, a great way to go about it. When Kobe Bryant died, I cried. I bawled my eyes out. And I've never met Kobe Bryant, but I felt like I knew him and no one feels like they know our players it's got to be through the personality because let's say there's a show like Cribs and you get to see what's in Federer's house and how he lives and stuff like that someone who's never heard of Federer or even someone worse let's let's say not that he's worse but someone at a lower level let's take a dude like Noah Rubin for instance he's not you know big to mainstream if you're not a tennis fan you don't know Noah but if you watch something and you see Noah's house and stuff like that, automatically now I'm like, shit, dude. You know, Noah's pretty cool. He plays Fortnite just like I do. Next time I'm flipping through the channels, I'm on ESPN, I see Noah's playing, I might stick around and watch. And if I have money on a match, I might stick around and watch. It's just um, it's just a great way to grow the sport. And uh, I'm excited to do this with you. I, uh, I want you to talk about a little bit also just – what what else, you know, what else are we going to be doing on here too?
0: Yeah, I mean, speaking of view, I think we need to have players that attract fans and really see their personalities. And really in the beginning when Kyrgios came on the stage, I thought this was awful tennis because, you know, hey, I was I guess I was in that cookie cutter, you know, box saying, you know, I don't want this guy to interact with fans and stuff like that and while he's playing, while he's got to serve for a match point against Mevidev the City Open. So I think you're spot on. You, can't, you couldn't be more spot on with what you just said. And uh, in the future uh, with our podcast, I think we're going to look at the U.S. Open, analyze um, what the odds are. We're going to talk about what's going on while it's going on. We're going to break down
1: these tournaments, break down these draws. We're going to have our picks of the week. We're going to have all that stuff. And uh, right now, I mean, everybody's suffering because of coronavirus. We're all, we're all, f-ed, but what's good is we're a little less. F-ed. Tennis is such a good social distancing sport. You know, I've never been a fighter, I couldn't punch my way through a paper bag. So I, uh, I play 70 feet away from my opponent. And because of that, we're, you know, we have that advantage where we can really socially distance and play safely, which is, which is great. And, you know, plenty of tournaments for us to uh, talk about and bet on. At the uh, world team tennis level and then also these private tournaments that have been going on as well
0: yeah and unfortunately we uh we didn't get really uh the world team tennis did well Uh, they did very well but in terms of gambling they didn't really produce any odds or you know there wasn't really much publicity out there but in the future i think uh in the next few weeks obviously it's it's august uh, early august and the Western and Southern Open is happening, I think, in a few weeks, and then the U.S. Open. So, you know, if if we can get some um, big results by some Americans that can attract some fans, that'll be nice. But in the future of our podcast, I think we're going to bring on more guests. Uh, I think we yes. got a we got a good display, or we got a good um, list of guests that uh, we can we've already talked to, and they are looking forward to coming on. So I think. Uh, are our, our quality of guests are gonna be pretty appealing to our to our view, our viewers so uh I'm really excited to get get things going and uh it's been a fun episode I guess our second two episode one it's gonna be pretty fun and next uh the rest of the summer especially doing this
1: definitely I'm super excited to uh get after it get started keep it going um if you f*** up again without audio I'm gonna start a goFundMe to uh buy you some more storage space. Uh, So that'll be that'll be fun for the fans. Hopefully. Hopefully we won't have to do that, though. Um, I won't reveal who these guests are because I want to keep it a surprise. But there are some pretty prominent figures, both playing, both playing as players and then some behind the scenes guys that, uh, you know, that's honestly where you get the juicy stuff from. So I think it'll be great for for our listeners. And uh, I'm super excited and I'm glad we're doing this, Clark.
0: Yeah, at the end of the day, we want to, uh, you know, get the personality of the, out of these players and we want to give the behind the scenes look. Uh, I think that's what is really special to sports. And if we can keep that along and kind of produce a little bit more, then, hey, uh, I think we're, we're doing our job. So uh, thank you guys for listening to episode 1, 2.0. Uh, I promise that my audio is not going to fuck up again hope not but uh i'm willing to get a new computer if this happens again but uh thank you guys for listening and i look forward to uh producing more episodes with you alex you too man deuces